On today's story session, a tale about a greedy psychopath who uses clothing accessories to destroy the world. This is The Tablecloth, The Knapsack, The Cannon Hat, and The Horn. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadowverse Story Sessions, the podcast about how brutally dark and totally insane folktales and fairy tales used to be, which in my opinion just made them way better and more entertaining. So I've got the most true-to-the-original version of Grimm's fairy tales that I could find, and we're going through it front-to-back, story-by-story. We'll figure out the unintended lesson that each story teaches, and at the end of each episode, I'll adapt the tale into a movie or TV show. So let's get right to it with today's tale titled The Tablecloth, the Knapsack, the Cannon Hat, and the Horn. Another one of those listy titles. We begin. Once there were three brothers from the region of the Black Mountains. Originally, they were very poor and traveled to Spain, where they came to a mountain completely surrounded by silver. The oldest brother took advantage of the situation by gathering as much silver as he could carry and went back home with his booty. The other two continued traveling and came to a mountain where nothing could be seen but gold. One brother said to the other, What should we do? The second took as much gold as he could carry, as his older brother had done, and went home. However, the third wanted to see if he could have even better luck and continued on his way. Okay, this guy might be getting a little greedy now, but let's see how this works out. He walked for three days and then entered an enormous forest. After wandering about for some time, he became tired, hungry, and thirsty, and couldn't find his way out of the forest. So he climbed a tall tree to see if he could catch a glimpse of the end of the forest. However, he saw nothing but the tops of trees. His only wish now was to fill his body once more, and he began climbing down the tree. When he got to the bottom, he noticed a table covered with many different dishes underneath the tree. Guess he didn't see that on the way up. He was delighted by this and ate until he was full. After he had finished eating, he took the tablecloth with him and moved on. Whenever he got hungry or thirsty again, he opened the tablecloth and whatever he wished for would appear on it. Well, that is insanely lucky. You just found a magic tablecloth underneath a tree, similar to the magic table from a previous episode. Maybe this is just a hallucination, and he's actually just in the process of dying. And in reality, he just ate a bunch of pine cones. But how would he have known that it was the tablecloth that was magic? He just got to the bottom of the tree and saw a big table with a bunch of stuff on it. How would he know that, oh, if I take this tablecloth, it will produce this multiple times whenever I choose? So he could just know that. Anyway, we continue. After a day's journey, he encountered a charcoal burner, who was burning coals and cooking potatoes. The charcoal burner invited him to be his guest, but he replied, No thanks, but I want you to be my guest. How's that possible? The charcoal burner asked. You don't seem to be carrying anything with you. That doesn't matter, he said. Just sit down over there. I added a little attitude to, to the way he said that. It's 
just kind of getting a vibe from this guy. Then he opened his tablecloth, and as soon and soon there was everything and anything one could possibly wish for. The charcoal burner enjoyed the meal and wanted to have the tablecloth. After they had eaten everything, he said, How do you like to trade with me? I'll give you an old soldier's knapsack for the tablecloth. If you tap it with your hand, a corporal and six men armed from top to bottom will come out each time you tap. They're of no help to me in the forest, but I'd certainly like the tablecloth. I mean, I feel like six guys, a corporal and six guys, they could help you do some stuff, even just basic tasks. In any event... They made the trade. The charcoal burner kept the tablecloth while the man from the Black Mountains took the knapsack. However, no sooner had the man gone some distance than he tapped the knapsack and out popped the war heroes. What does my master want? I want you to march back and fetch my tablecloth that I left behind with the charcoal burner. Oh, shit. What an asshole. He is double-crossing this guy, this poor charcoal burner, and this guy offered to host him as a guest when he thought he was hungry and had nothing with him. Man, what a dick. This guy is super greedy. Let's see how this works out for him. So they returned to the charcoal burner and then brought back the tablecloth. Okay, so we're just going to gloss over what happened when they came back to take the tablecloth from the guy? Is the guy okay? Did they beat him up or something to take the tablecloth? I want details with this. If this were a movie, that'd be a super intense, dark scene. Man, I'm just worried about this poor charcoal burner. In the evening, he came to another charcoal burner who invited him to supper. Oh no, this guy's nice too. Just run, charcoal burner. Or better yet, just throw your smoldering charcoal in this guy's face and kill him before he takes all your shit. He had the same potatoes without grease. But the man from the Black Mountains opened his tablecloth instead and invited him to be his guest. Nobody could have wished for a better meal. When it was over, this charcoal burner also wanted to make a trade. He gave the man a hat for the tablecloth. If the man turned the hat on his head, cannons would fire as if an entire battalion of soldiers and battery were right on the spot. Okay, well, this hat sounds cool in theory, but in practice, this would be unbelievably dangerous to own. You could just be adjusting your hat because it's sunny or something, and the next thing you know, you've accidentally started blasting cannon fire out of your head and destroyed your entire house. When the man from the Black Mountains had gone some distance, he tapped the old knapsack again and the corporal and his six men were ordered to fetch the tablecloth again. All right, he's essentially just wandering around stealing from peasants at this point. These guys are just minding their own business, eating potatoes, boring potatoes with no grease or oil, so clearly things aren't going great for them. And this greedy prick shows up, takes their stuff, so they end up even worse off than before. Man... Now the man continued his journey in the same forest, and in the evening he came upon a third charcoal burner, who invited him to eat potatoes without grease, like the others. Then they negotiated, and the charcoal burner gave the man a little horn for the tablecloth. If the man blew on it, all the cities and villages, as well as the fortresses, would collapse into heaps of rubble. 
Why do these random forest peasants have such unbelievably destructive magical objects? Did they used to be part of some, like, supervillain alliance, and now they've just split up and made their own houses and decided not to use their shit anymore? I mean, if they have these capabilities, why aren't they better off? The guy with the knapsack, he should be contracting out his soldiers as, like, security guys or bounty hunters or something. Or even just use them to steal stuff from bad guys or something. I mean, the cannon hat guy, he is perfectly situated for, for like, a mining operation or demolition or something. And then the horn guy, yeah, he's basically just a supervillain. There aren't that many practical uses for for a horn that just destroys everything. Maybe he's a nice guy, so he doesn't want to use it, in which case, good for him. But my point is, don't just sit on these objects and not use them. And that horn, I mean, that that's essentially the old-timey equivalent of a nuclear bomb. You can't give that to someone, a stranger who just strolled through with a weird magic tablecloth. It shouldn't even exist, this horn. If you own that, either destroy it or bury it in cement. Or just bury it. I don't want to have cement back then, maybe. Just bury it. That horn is too powerful. Anyway, we continue. The charcoal burner didn't get to keep the tablecloth any longer than the other two, for the corporal and his six men soon came and fetched it. Of course. Now, when the man from the Black Mountains had everything together, he returned home and intended to visit his brothers, who had become rich from their gold and silver. When he went to them wearing an old tattered coat, they refused to recognize him as their brother. Wait, what the fuck? His coat is old? So they refuse to acknowledge that he's their brother? Damn, their brothers are assholes too. This whole family sucks. So he immediately tapped his knapsack and had 150 men march out and give his brothers a good thrashing on their backs. The entire village came to their aid, but they could do very little in this affair. News of this soon reached the king who sent a military squad to take the soldiers prisoner. But the man from the Black Mountains kept tapping on his knapsack and had an infantry and cavalry march out. They defeated the military squad and forced it to retreat. Man, he is escalating this quickly. The following day, the king had even more soldiers sent to bring an end to the old guy. However, he kept tapping his knapsack until he had an entire army. In addition, he turned his hat a few times. The cannons fired, and the enemy was defeated and took flight. Finally, peace was made, and he was appointed viceroy and awarded the princess for his bride. However, the princess was constantly bothered by the fact that she had such an old guy for her husband. What? Is he old? It was never established that he was old. He had a bunch of brothers. If I hear about three brothers wandering in the forest, I don't picture them all as a bunch of old guys. And also, I guess she wasn't bothered that he essentially declared war on her kingdom and just murdered a bunch of people. Killed ha who knows how many people he killed, destroyed a bunch of shit with his cannon hat. All of that was totally fine by her, but the fact that he was old, it's too much. Too much. She just can't get past that, I guess. Her greatest wish was to get rid of him. Every day, she tried to discover the source of the power that he used to his advantage, Finally, since he was so devoted to her, he revealed everything to her. She managed to talk him into giving her his knapsack, whereupon she forced him out. Afterward, when soldiers came marching against him, his men were defeated. 
However, he still had his little hat, so he turned it and had the cannons fired. Once again, he defeated the enemy and peace was made. I don't know if you could say peace was made. This is clearly very contentious. Lots of people are still dying. I mean, there's soldiers that they created out of thin air, I think. So are people dying, or are these just like... These just, you know, randomly created sort of golem figures? Or are they ghosts of actual, like, military people and soldiers from the past? There's a lot of questions here. Who knows? After this, he was deceived again when the princess talked him into giving her his little hat. <sighs> okay, she already betrayed him, and they literally fought a war against each other. But they got back together after that? And even then, she convinced him to give her his hat too? Man, this is getting sad now. I mean, this guy is, is a horrible monster. Super greedy. But he seems to really genuinely love this woman. And now she's doing everything she can to kill him. And the only reason we're given for this is because she thinks he's old? So, she's not great herself. Every character here so far kind of sucks. And it would be one thing if the story was like, the princess never forgave the man from the Black Mountains for the death and suffering he brought to her kingdom, and she swore vengeance in the name of her people. I mean, that would be perfectly logical reason to hate the guy. But nope, nothing noble like that. She's just like, ew, he's old. I'm gonna kill him. We continue. Now, when the enemy attacked him, he had nothing left but his little horn. So he blew it, and the villages, cities, and all the fortresses collapsed instantly into heaps of rubble. Then he alone was king and blew his horn until he died. The end. Damn, that is bleak. That's actually a pretty powerful image, just this one guy, entirely alone, blowing his horn, exerting the one power he has, just destruction, and now just a sad, lonely king of a wasteland of rubble and corpses. And it all started because of his own greed and violence. I mean, at that point, though, when you're getting attacked, do you blow the horn? Because that is literally the nuclear option. That is like, I'm going to kill everyone. That is, we're all dying. Everyone's dying. You'd think even at that point, just don't blow the horn. You'd be like, all right, this has not gone well for me, but I'm not going to destroy every city and village and every single person that's, that's living. You'd think he would be... You'd, well, I guess that's, that's the point of this. He's greedy and violent and selfish. And that's his destruction. And the destruction of everyone here. I actually really like this story. I mean, sure, it's not logically perfect plot-wise for the message it's asserting. I mean, you could make the argument that if the brothers had just accepted him when he returned, or if his wife didn't hate old people to such a murderous extent, then maybe it all would have worked out great for him. And maybe he wouldn't have gotten his comeuppance for his greed. But, you know, those are minor those are minor plot points. I'll forgive those, because I think the message still lands really well. I'll forgive that stuff if the story and the journey are still effective. So, yeah, I'm a fan of this one. But I do have to ask, why weren't the charcoal burners doing anything with their crazy, violent magic stuff? And the only answer I can come up with is that they were all too kind-hearted and didn't want any suffering or destruction, so they didn't use their 
They're violent magical objects, which is very noble and is actually in line with the theme and message of the story. You know, the charcoal burners in the forest who don't seem to be doing great still seem happy and content, and each of them generously offer to host the main character and to give him food. So that all really says a lot about their character and also makes it clear that our main character here is a totally unrepentant asshole and a terrible person. However, if that was the case and the charcoal burners didn't want any suffering, they shouldn't have given away their violent magical objects. I mean, too much power in those objects, as we clearly saw. But, well, if they hadn't traded their objects, then there'd be no story. So again, I'll forgive it. All right, what are the lessons here? I think the intended lesson is pretty clear and pretty well expressed. If you live your life greedily and violently and victimize others with your greed and violence, then it will only lead to others victimizing you with their own violence and greed. And the only endpoint of violence is the destruction of everyone. It's the only logical endpoint to, to the cycle of violence. Violence might put someone on top temporarily, but it starts a natural cycle that only leads to more violence until everyone involved is ultimately destroyed by that violence and it's just one asshole blowing a horn on a pile of rubble. I mean, this lesson actually is particularly relevant at this time with what's going on in the world. So it's actually kind of crazy that we just happen to come to this story at this exact moment. Huh. But okay, I think another lesson here is that there are different types of power. I mean, the tablecloth with all the food, certainly powerful, but the effects of that power are much more able to be used positively. So the question it leaves with us is what type of power do you want to pursue? You think about what sort of things you want to be able to achieve or to contribute to the world, and then think about what type of power will allow you to do that. And then how can you put your energy towards obtaining that type of power? Because we can't forget about the first two brothers as well. I like that they were a part of this. You can't, you can't forget their role here. Because they were, they were less greedy than the last brother, the protagonist. And they happily took their wealth and made nice lives for themselves. But they were selfish with their wealth. I thought that was, you know, that was, that was sort of it stuck out as a moment when they spurned their brother. Their brother came back. And they were cold and hostile and judgmental based on just what he was wearing and unwelcoming. And so the charcoal burners had so much less, but were welcoming and generous with what they have. And after the main character swept through and took their magical objects, I mean, sure, they didn't have that magical objects, but it was made clear that they weren't using the magical object anyway. So ultimately, they weren't really any worse off than before. And they're the only ones who, by the end of the story aren't worse off. Everyone else is either greedy or violent or selfish, and that leads to their ultimate demise and their death. So the brothers, they were less greedy than the last brother, sure, but they were still greedy and selfish, and that's what led to their downfall. And then the princess was also hostile and violent and judgmental about age, of all things, and ultimately that led to her downfall. So, so yeah, the story shows... Greed and violence and selfishness will only lead to your downfall by the same means. So, put your efforts towards a more positive form of power that will bring bring other people up right along with you. And as you bring them up, they'll bring you up too. If you make other people's lives better, then they'll make your life better. So if you make other people's lives worse, they'll make your life worse. You reap what you sow. That, that kind of thing. And lastly, if you have a horn that destroys fucking cities, 
bury that shit. No good will come of it. And this leads to the final lesson of the story. Don't give a stranger weapons. That's basically what the charcoal burners did. Not a smart move. Why would you give a stranger something that they can immediately use against you? I mean, if you were walking down the street and saw some random guy with a pizza, even if you were hungry, would you be like, hey, if you give me that pizza, I'll give you my gun? No, you obviously wouldn't, because the second you gave that guy your gun, he'd just point the gun at you and say, give me back my pizza or I'll shoot you. So while I do really like this story, the charcoal burners were not super clever guys. We'll just say that. And I guess we knew that, because if you had the ability to summon a literal army to do your bidding, but were still living in the forest eating boring potatoes with no oil or spices, I think it's safe to say you're not utilizing all of the tools at your disposal. You don't have to use them for war, the army, the army guys. You could summon all these guys and just be like, hey, let's build a house. Or let's all start making tables and chairs out of all these, these trees around here. Boom, you've got a furniture company. Great. It's essentially free labor for whatever you want. Anyway, I love this story. Let's adapt this thing. So, we'll have it take place. Take place 1800s, Central Europe. Keep it in the time of the Brothers Grimm. We got two jaunty fellows played by Trevor Noah and Roy Wood Jr., and they're just humble, traveling storytellers. And they drift from town to town, exchanging their stories for, for a hot meal and a place to stay for the night. And one day, while traveling through the forest, Trevor Noah finds a flute at the base of a tree. And he doesn't know how to play any instruments, but he brings the flute to his lips, and he can suddenly play the flute like a, like a master. And the flute also somehow imbues him with, with super dancing skills. And so he just starts dancing and playing jazz flute like a boss. And Roy Wood Jr., he, he's like, hey, let me try that. And he brings the flute to his lips and he blows, but, but nothing happens. It doesn't work. It just, just sounds terrible, like a guy who doesn't know how to play the flute. And so Trevor Noah takes it, and they realize that for some reason it only works for Trevor. So they go to the next town, go straight to the town square. Trevor takes out that flute and just starts going off. And as Trevor plays and dances... Roy tells one of their grandiose stories, with Trevor playing the backing track and, and doing an interpretive dancing the story, dancing the story out, as Roy tells it. And everyone's like, my god, that fluting and dancing, he's incredible. And they all just dump loads of money into the hat that they set out, and after the performance, these four random guys come up and they're like, hey, hey there, you know, we're a group of dancers and acrobats, and we'd like to join you. And they're like, okay, sure, that sounds good. And the dancers are like, no, we'd like to join him. And they point to Trevor. Like, the storytelling is nice and everything, but that flute playing and dancing, it's amazing. We, we need to double down on that. You know, cut the storytelling bit. And Roy, Roy's like, we're storytellers, it's what we do. So, no thanks. But Trevor says, wait, well, I mean, we should give it a shot. If, if it could lead to a lot of money, you know, then why not? Roy says, what, what are you talking about? You've always said that storytelling is the only thing you ever really loved. Trevor replies, I know, I know, but you know, let's make that money, you know? If we get even more dancers, we could do bigger things, bigger shows. We could do well. We could do well with this. But Roy says, what do you mean, we? I can't dance. I can't play the flute. What am I supposed to do? Trevor says, you can be the manager. And Roy just, just sighs. It's like, all right, whatever. 
And so the next day, the dancers come with them as they go to the next town. And they put on an even bigger performance with the dancers just going off all around Trevor as he dances with that flute. And everyone in town freaks out over this show and they make even more money. And after the show, some guy from the audience comes up and he's like, I've been developing a type of display that I call pyrotechnics. And I think if I put on a a pyrotechnics display while you guys dance and play your flute... We could make even more money. And Trevor's like, yeah, let's do it. And so a couple days later, they arrive at a big city, put on a show. Trevor's balling out on his flute. The dance team's going off. There's fire and flying sparks and fireworks popping all around him. And this city is just in awe of this incredible flute and dance-based spectacle. And it's the best show anyone has ever seen in their entire lives. And so a big outdoor theater is like, you should stay and put on your show every night and we'll give you so much money. And Trevor says, yeah, absolutely. But Roy says, are you sure this is what you really want? And Trevor's like, yes, definitely. I love the flute now. So they start doing shows and everyone loves it and nobody in the city ever wants to go to any other shows, which really angers all the other theaters and performers in the town. So one day these other performers... And the owners of the other theaters, they trash Trevor's theater, and they beat up a couple of the dance team guys. And Trevor's like, how dare they? Get ready, everyone. Get ready, Roy. We're going to war. We're going to theater war with the other performers. And Roy's like, what is happening, man? Look at yourself. We never wanted this life. Theater war? What are you talking about? But Trevor, he's hearing none of it. And he's like, theater war, it's happening. If you don't go to war with me, then you're not really my friend. And Roy says, I'm your only friend. All these people, they only like you because you play the flute like a fucking savage. They don't even know that it's not, it's not who you really are. It's just a magic flute. But you know what? Magic flute is not a gift. It's a, it's a curse, Trevor. Life was better when we were just traveling together, making people happy with our stories. This greed has gone to your head. It's made you crazy. But Trevor's like, nope, theater war. And so then we've got a fucking awesome battle scene in this big theater with long curtains where we've got like mimes and overdramatic actors in long robes and Cirque du Soleil looking people and crazy makeup. Got some magician, just all kinds of eccentric theater weirdos, basically. And so Trevor and his dance team and the pyrotechnics guy, they, they come and they line up on the other side opposite all the other performers. And after some intimidating dancing and displays of theater and various flourishes from both sides, each side just runs at each other, and they just start beating the hell out of each other. And the pyrotechnic guy, then he fires like a flame ball, and it hits the curtains, and they go up in flames, and also catch some of the performers on fire too, and everyone's just like screaming, and they pour out of the theater, which continues to burn, and they stumble out onto the street, and they're all standing there watching the theater burn, And Trevor and Roy briefly lock eyes, and then one of the magicians turns to Trevor, and he's like, you see what you've done? This is your fault, and they are about to start fighting again when Trevor says, no, no, stop. This has gone way too far. You all started performing because you love it, right? But at some point along the way, it just became about the money and the attention, and that greed has poisoned us against each other. We should just go back to doing what we love because we love it. And so, then Trevor takes out the magic flute, and he just snaps it in half, and everyone gasps. 
And he just turns to Roy and he says, Let's go, Roy. And the two of them walk down the cobblestone street as the theater burns behind them. And we skip ahead to a few days later where we see the two of them, Trevor and Roy, performing one of their favorite stories on a small street with a small audience. And we see a small child looking up at them in wonder at their tale. And we just see Trevor and Roy briefly lock eyes with a knowing look, and we know. They're free of greed and back to doing what they love. The end. And that will do it for this week's story session. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Come on back next week for a story titled, Mrs. Fox. Is it going to be an actual fox or just some lady with the last name Fox? The one and only way to find out is to come back next week. There is no other way to know what happens in this Grimm's fairy tale because I refuse to acknowledge the existence of the internet. I mean, the internet is how I get this podcast out, but it is my firm belief that the internet should never be used for informational purposes, just streaming services and podcasts and cute videos of puppies and kittens and things like that and news bloopers. Yeah, those are, those are pretty good. I recently saw a 10-minute video that was just a miniature schnauzer getting a haircut at, a, at like a Japanese dog groomers. And you know what? I watched the hell out of that video. I watched every minute of that schnauzer getting a haircut, and it was fucking great. And on that note, come on back next week for the tale of Mrs. Fox. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Thank you.